Blog Talk Radio. Hi, Laura. I have to say every week, I think maybe we'll get our music fixed. <laughs> it, it always tonight. It, you think? Was it better? It just stopped funny, maybe. It, it was better. You know what it is? I don't ever know when to cut it off, and tonight I was fumbling around with the mouse, and then it just abruptly stopped. I wish I could fade it, but after 100 shows, you would think we would know how to do this by now, but oh, well, apparently not. Well, maybe it'll take 200. Anyway, hi, Laura. This is Kate Hensler. I'm a developmental interventionist and good friend of Laura's. I work in the Louisville, Kentucky area in the First Steps program, which is Kentucky's early intervention program. How are you tonight, Laura? Well, I'm good. How are you? (laughs) You weren't much more convincing on air than you were two minutes before we started. I'm good. I'm one week closer to being done with my house. So that's the way I've that's the recurrent the recurrent introduction now, isn't it? That's what it is. I'm one somebody said to me uh on Friday, Laura, so when are you gonna be done? And I said, Oh I at first I thought, What? Oh and then I realized I said, maybe another too much. She said, Oh, I thought you were closer. Oh <laughs> we've no. been I've been building this house for nine and a half, almost ten months, so Getting old, but a couple months. A baby I baby now. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, it always happy one hundredth show. Congratulations. I know, but let me go back to the house thing. This isn't just any house. It's just a dream house. So it, it's going to take a little bit longer for the dream house to come together. So there you go. That's what my builder reminds there you go. We'll have to me. Every time I complain, he reminds me. But anyway, it is coming along. We were just there, and it's looking good. We're looking forward to living yeah. there. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope I get to go this week. I hope Johnny and I get to go by there because we certainly want to do that. But no we'll problem. plan that later. <laughs> okay. I'm sure our listeners are thinking, okay, they're even more giddy than they normally are. When will they get on with the topic tonight? So I don't know. What else can we talk about? Well, I wanted to say that um, I thought you did a great job your conference on Friday. You had a local conference, which was fun to see lots of familiar faces and, and um, people we've both worked with for a number of years. It was great. Well, it was fun, but I was very nervous. I would have to say you could roll all of my nerves into one for the 14 previous conferences I've done this fall and winter, and it still wouldn't have come close to how nervous I was on Friday. And I don't really get – I get a little bit nervous, but not that nervous, and I was more nervous because I knew so many people. And more than that is I – like and admire so many people that were there, and that just made it a little tougher than when you might not know anybody or maybe one person. Right. So it was a little more uh, challenging than I thought it was going to be getting started, and I changed the introduction, too, specifically for Kentucky's First Steps program, and that threw me a little bit. But anyway, it ended up great. The big deal about Friday was the whole 
snow episode. You know, to hear the local newscasters, you would have thought we were having, you know, blizzard of the century or snowmageddon or all those things that people were calling You're it. starting to sound like and a northerner, have... Laura. That's the way I feel every time it snows here. We make the most of our two inches. Let me just say that. They, they were kids well, it was Thursday. Just no, they got out early Thursday, and then they were out Friday. Yeah. It, yeah, it was just a little crazy, and then we realized we had so many people coming in from throughout um, the state of Kentucky and some people from Indiana, and actually they got a lot more snow than we did in Louisville. They did, but yeah. we had to go ahead and have it because so many people had made travel plans that they couldn't change, and it all turned out okay, but that, those were a rough couple of days kind of leading up to all the emails and all the phone calls. Will we wow. have it? We still have it. I'm going to be so well, mad. You, you don't have it. I'm going to be so disappointed. You don't have more, it. You had you know, at least half of those who had registered. So we did. We had we had about eighty four people registered, and we had fifty one there on Friday. So over half. So that was great. But we are having a makeup this next Friday for the folks who were signed up and couldn't come. And we we're still going to keep registration open. So if by chance anyone's listening. And you feel compelled to come this Friday, join us. It's not too late to sign up, and there's a special um, link on the website at teachmetotalk.com to sign up for that. Just click on the Louisville Conference, and you can go ahead and sign up. And we, I would love to have even more folks join me for this Friday, and I will have settled down, hopefully. Yeah, but you've done it now. I thought it You know what? Great. There's going to be no tougher. Not that they were a tough crowd. It's just, as you said, when you know and respect so many people, it's a lot more intimidating to stand up. Although, Laura, your nervous makes my totally comfortable look really good. So I really felt like you, you handled it really well. It's just you, you were thirsty, and you did need more drinks than usual. <laughs> yeah, I drank a two-liter of Coke. Yeah, and uh, it's, I've gotten so many sweet notes from people on Facebook and emails that said, I don't know what you're talking about, being nervous. I couldn't tell at all. But I think you knew and Johnny knew, and I certainly knew. But it was it was fine. It was great. Well, your voice was great. And everything was just that you were getting thirsty. That was the only thing. But I, honestly, I think other people thought you probably just took a decongestant and you were thirsty. So it didn't matter. No, except for I kept saying, I can't believe how nervous I am. Oh my goodness! But anyway, it all turned out okay. And anybody that knows me knows that I I don't have that much of a. Um, I mean, I have a filter. That's not what I'm saying. But if they anybody that I think routinely is around me would know just kind of by how many times I've said it and how uh, animated I was about it that I was a little more nervous than I typically am. So, but that's okay. I thought the conference went great and it was fun to be with friends and we got good questions on Friday and that's going to be the topic of today's show, talking about the questions that routinely come up when we have a conference. Before that, though, I, let me say the thing, the other things I'm supposed to say. I did start practicing to Skype, the Skype um, parent consultative sessions that I'm about to offer on the website at teachmetotalk.com and my two families that have generously agreed to help me kind of work out the kinks in that whole system. I've talked with both of them this week, and the visits were, and it's funny calling it a visit, but that's what it feels like because you're still talking about a child and still doing the same things that we do in a visit other than, of course, playing one-on-one with the kid. But great families, and I've gotten some good feedback, and so I'm closer to being able to announce a start date or a launch date for that on the website. So if any families are really interested in that, please stay tuned 
on the website for details uh, because I hope to have that service up and running um, in the next couple of weeks. But it was a lot of fun. Met two really cute families, and the moms and the dads were both present with the oh, visits. that's so neat. Nice to see. I know, I know. So nice to in the real world. We, I mean, not to discount the mothers because they are the mothers, but. A lot of times both parents can't be there when we're with kids, so it's nice to get them both. It was very nice. And one is the sweetest little couple in Moldova, and they're actually missionaries, but they're from Louisville, and how weird is that, that they're Hmm. from, you know, I did not know them previously, and, you know, obviously they did not know me, and they just, she just found the website and thought it was a happy coincidence, but, you know, I don't really believe in coincidences, Um, so I was glad that they... But it just happened like that, and so we had a nice um, session talking about their little boy and then another great couple uh, from Virginia, and the, it was so cute with them as they're some of the late talkers that they had previously bought, teach me to talk, like a year ago, year and a half ago. And then now the little boy's doing great, but he's having some fluency issues as happens, and it's part of the course of typical development. Not all children have that, but certainly some children do go through a period of normal disfluency, and so they just needed some reassurance about that. But they were so cute saying, oh, you know, we love the DVD so much. It's so funny to see you talking to us on our screen like we've watched (laughs) you talk to us many times on our screen before. It was just really cute and really sweet. Um, But what? No, no, no. I was going to say, I'll bet that is, well, you get that response a lot at um, your conferences because people have. I get it at the conferences. Yeah, and, they, and it is kind of like you feel like you know somebody if you've seen, because you're, um, yeah, it's not a filter. You're just, you're, your speaking style is, is very casual and very approachable, and so, you know, you kind of get that feeling like, yeah. I know her, I could have lunch with her. <laughs> yeah. That would be hard and to do. And people always say, well, and people say, you look like your picture, you look like the thing, and I think. Doesn't everybody look like their picture? But I don't know. That's, that's the most common thing people say at the conferences. And then those sweet parents. But anyway, my point about this whole thing is that is going to be so much fun, and I can't wait to do that. And I think the parents really liked it because they get to, even when they call on the show, which we're still going to continue to do is take parent calls here, but it's a little more personal. Right. Um, than just talking about it. And, again, the parents who are concerned about privacy, I think, will really like it. And then they feel like it's just one-on-one and we're, you know, specifically just talking about their kid. And so I think it's going to be great. I'm really, really excited about that. Well, it gives you the opportunity to ask all those questions that when we get questions uh, by email or on Facebook or whatever, then we're frequently saying we try and get them to call in, but sometimes parents are uncomfortable calling in for just those reasons you just highlighted. but. We're always saying, if we, we'd like to ask them, we'd like to ask them, because then you really get to feel like you are really responding to them, to their specific situation, and not just in generalities, which is kind of what we often have to do, answering questions this way. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool, Laura. That's yeah, it's pretty really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, and the best part about it was they upload, one family didn't have time to do this, but the, the family in Moldova got to upload videos of their child, so I got to see him play in lots of different contexts, play with both mom and dad, 
just kind of playing by himself, playing in the bathtub, you know, at a meal. And so I got to watch lots of snippets of him before I talked with him. So I already had lots of things to say and observations and then questions for them based on uh, the videos that they uploaded. So it's it's just going to be great. I'm I'm very excited about it, and I I think it's um I think it's going to be a service to help lots and lots of people, especially people like um, those parents who don't have access to services where they are. Right. There's not an English speech English speaking speech pathologist there. And so while they've tried to speak to the doctor and different things, they said it's just not the same. So. Um, I would think, I mean, there would be a number of applications. One would be a family who's concerned about their child and wondering whether or not they should seek services in general. I mean, it's nice to have an expert who's objective, and you could discuss that, or somebody whose child is in services and they think maybe things aren't going as well as they would hope or might be. That would be, again, nice to have feedback from an objective professional. And then also, unfortunately, the United States is... um, Pretty darn good, but some other countries do not have the resources that we do when it comes to early childhood development and speech and language delays. So, yeah, a lot of people, they don't really have much of an option. So, anyway, that will be cool. I look forward to hearing um, how well that's going in the near future. Yeah, so hopefully that will be up and going soon. All right, the next thing, let's go back to our questions that – always seem to come up at conferences, and it amazes me how many times the same thing comes up. And it usually is kind of in response to something that I'm saying or part of the presentation that lends itself to someone have a different, having a different opinion than me or having a question about that or just kind of asking why I feel the way that I do about things that I might say. So we're going to talk about some of those that came up on Friday that I have heard at nearly every other location that I've done a conference. So, again, it's so interesting how universal our experiences can be because, you know, I kind of get on autopilot and tell the same stories and the same same examples. It's not always the same, but a lot of it really is. And it's very funny, the reactions, because, you know, we'll kind of joke about how a parent might characterize something or say something, and it, it, it's pretty funny that all of us who do this job home visits and early intervention systems, whether they be in Kentucky or Missouri or Louisiana, have a lot of the same (laughs) experiences with families. And so it's always cute to kind of think about that. And even though we're in different places and different states and different times, and of course we all have different personalities and philosophies, how alike a lot of our experiences are. So that's always kind of cool to realize. All right, so one question that came up on... Friday, and I've been asked this before, is do you ever ask a parent to leave the room during a session? And, you know, people might ask this in different ways and have different circumstances that might lead them to ask the question. And I think the speech pathologist that asked this on Friday said that she was just coming back to work after an absence. I think she's been a stay-at-home mom for a while, and she's just coming back to work. And so she said that she's um, had a kid who's clingy, and she felt like the kid didn't really want to play with her because 
I can't remember if it was a boy or a girl. Can you, Kate? And that doesn't even really matter. But the child. No, I don't remember. Um, I, if I could, she was in front of me. I, it's hard to hear people who were asking questions in front of me. I thought, but they're not. Yeah. They didn't project the way you did. So, I, all I could hear. Yeah. Was, I kind of heard your response and not necessarily her question. Well, she just asked, "Do you ever send?" ask a mom to leave the room. And my initial response to that is always the same. I'm always really reluctant to tell people what to do in their own homes <laughs> because we're guests when we go there. And not that we won't coach moms or make suggestions, but I just feel uncomfortable about saying to a mom or a dad, listen, I really need you to leave the room here. And I think, again, it could open itself up to, you know, have the parent feel a little bit suspicious or have a parent think, why is she doing this? Or, I don't know, I just I just don't feel like that that's something that I would ever really do. And in a case like that, if a child's being clingy, I would try to think, okay, do I need to be more loving like this mom? Do I need to be more nurturing? Do I need to be more fun so that the child wants? to play with me more so than kind of sit and hide in mom's lap. You know, what am I doing? What can I change about my um, persona or how that kid is interacting with me to make him uh, want to be with me enough or not be scared or whatever. And she said that when the mom did leave, and I guess the mom left kind of of her own accord, the mom said, hey, let me just try it when I leave the room that the child was more connected to her and kind of settled down and played instead of whining and clinging and all of that. And so I can certainly see that if it's the mom's idea and she just wants to try that, that's fine. But I feel uncomfortable suggesting that to a parent um, when I'm in their home. On the other hand, lots of children get services in clinical settings or at school settings when mom and dad aren't there. So I think if that had been your previous experience and how you were used to conducting therapy sessions, that might be a little easier to do and just kind of assume that a kid would do better. But the main reason I want parents there besides the whole being rude and me saying, please get out of here even though it is your house, is that I want moms and dads there to participate so that they can see what works and what doesn't work so that they don't repeat my mistakes and so that they can just see how their child does when you're working on speech and language like you're supposed to, when you're really playing and really targeting the things that we need to do so that they can duplicate those successes the whole rest of the week because a kid can get better in one hour a week of therapy, but it's so much better when mom and dad really are in the driver's seat in the process and focus on helping their child become better communicators the whole rest of the week. And that's when kids really make significant progress and moms and dads really take the strategies that we introduce in the session and carry this out all through the week in their little play sessions and in their daily routines. And that's the main reason that I want parents to stay is so that they can see what works and use that the whole rest of the week. Do you have um, things to say about that, Kate? What, what would you have said to that question when she asked? Um, I... Would, well, it depends, honestly. I would say the majority of my moms or parents um, do stay in the room with me. I have in my career had a handful of kids, maybe two or three, who um, and 
I'm just going to say up front, they were all three um, almost undoubtedly on the spectrum. And sometimes those kids, despite the the common misconception that they are not um, attached to their loved ones, in my experience, those three kids, like, as I said, who were on the spectrum, uh, were very attached, almost, you know. Uh, Hyper-attached. Yes, hyper-attached to such an extreme that they were so guarded about letting anybody else play with them, get near with them, talk to them, be in the room with them. You know, they were very, very, right. very extreme about an invasion from an outsider, which I was. One I had years ago, he was absolutely violent. I mean, and I was really, after three or four sessions, I was scared to death he was going to hurt himself. And um, that one yeah. I did I did say, hey, how about we step in this bedroom here? And I invited her to sit on the other side of the door and listen. But and and he he did a total about face, as far as his disposition. He he went from being. I mean, really, I was afraid. He he'd do stuff that was just um, self injurious. He would throw himself against a glass coffee table. He would run into the oh, glass window. Yeah. He would, you know, they, they that were. That scare me. Yeah, they were. I mean, it really was. I had to say, I'm really worried he's going to hurt himself because he was just acting out in right. such an extreme way. And then when we went in the bedroom, he was like a different kid. He really, and I just think he he was really hyper connected with his mother. And it wasn't a typical connection, but it was a very profound connection. And and that having a stranger, he I don't think he'd had much interaction with people other than his immediate family and as i said he had some real social differences and so for him that was such a challenge but um other than that i've had a couple who you know i might take to the end of the hallway and work down there kind of more as a one to to discourage running which you know sometimes the kids we see talk about in your conference they're runners they're on the move and sometimes if you kind of restrict a little bit um where they can run to or the access they have to running or just decreasing the sensory overload on those kids. You know, if you get in a smaller, closed area, they kind of settle down and focus. A lot of times those moms will either stay in the room, but I'm kind of my back, you know, we're kind of off to the side, or they might go in the next room and sit and listen. Um, Right. So there are other few, most Generally, they stay in, and I prefer that, but if it's so extreme where I'm getting nothing from the child, you know, I'll kind of... Right. Even even just sometimes just going to the corner of the room, mom's still in the room, but it's not right, right. there where the kid's clinging to her. He he knows she's there, right. but somehow just a little bit of separation in the same room. Yeah, and oftentimes. I've had that happen, too. Mm-hmm. And I've had that happen, too, and I've had it happen where circumstances of the family schedule might dictate that, gosh, she needs to go take care of the other five kids that are home, mom does, Mm -hmm. or when you've had moms who work at home and who they're going to be on a conference call, but they're right in the next room, you know, they could not schedule it another time. Things happen where parents are out of the room, um, not regularly, but Enough so that that certainly happens and is expected and not that big of a deal. But her question, you know, do you purposefully ask a mom to leave? Yeah, and I my answer would that. be I try really, really hard not to, unless it is not an extreme yeah. situation. And right. before right. I get to that extreme, I try and kind of just 
other things. Well, yeah, get the kid to focus on me and and put a little distance between where mom's sitting because sometimes if she's right there, you know, it's just a constant right. reminder that he's being forced to engage with somebody else and he's, you know, <laughs> he's not quite ready to do it. So, but in general, well, other no. things moms can do. Yeah, and the other things moms can do when that happens is when that would happen with a kid, I would really ask that mom to act really excited and really positive about therapy because I think sometimes parents with these clingy kids, even just unconsciously or subconsciously reinforce the clinginess. Right. When, well, because it makes um, them uncomfortable, I think. You know, they're seeing their right, kid right. kind of struggle, and they know it's hard for their child. And so, right. and you know, we all want to see our kids shine, and there they are sitting there thinking sure. he's miserable or he's upset or he's, you know. And so, yes, I do think the parents, I mean, the kids somehow sense that, and it kind of feeds into right. their fears anyway. Mm-hmm. And so if you can talk to a mom about, hey, listen, before I come, I want you to just act really excited oh my goodness she's coming to play with you today you're gonna have so much fun look it's Laura. i wonder what she's bringing and just really hype it up a little bit so that it's more exciting and the kid thinks hey mom is excited about this so this is not going to be that big of a deal i'm going to have fun um i think that makes it better too when a kid is really clingy like that i really do think boy i have got to really up the importance of making a good connection with him from the beginning because if he likes that um, sense of being totally secure and rescued or nurtured or loved on or whatever you want to call it, I think, okay, he's got to start to feel that way about me before he's going to be comfortable. We've talked about this on the show before a lot. I'm really comfortable with being affectionate with kids, with holding them, with um, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, my southern upbringing for loving on him. I'm completely <laughs> comfortable doing that. And a lot of therapists really aren't. Right. So I guess it just kind of depends on your personality whether you can do that. But for a kid like that, I think it's even more important if you can really help them love you right. so that they want well, to play with you. Well, let's face it, we're going to try and touch them anyway. Time. I mean, our approach kind of yeah. dictates that we're going to use hand over hand for signing. We're going to probably get yeah. their hands on our face. We may get our hands on their faces. And so we really have to work towards immediately warming them up to that idea and to desensitizing them to this is a stranger and I don't like strangers to touch me. Right. And, you know, a fair number of our right. kids are that way. You know, it's not every child. Right. Some of them are snugglers from, that's my, I guess, northern term, they're snuggle. Some of them are snugglers from day yeah. one, but other kids, um, you know, we have to convince them that we're worth snuggling. So, <laughs> Right, that they really do like us, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I would work really hard to um, be that way um, with that kind of kid. Even, I mean, and I think I just kind of naturally do that anyway, but for that kind of child, I would really, and I would try not to let any agitation or frustration on my part <laughs> show so that when he's over hugging and loving on mom, I'm going to try to do not act like that really bothers me because, one, I don't want the kid to sense that or mom right. so that they neither neither one of them feel uh, weird about that. And I think any time as a therapist, you know, when we're in someone else's home, we have to really want the parents to um, – 
know that we care about their kids and we like their kids and we enjoy our time with them and the family because nothing is worse than getting off on the wrong foot with a family or with a mom for, you know, whatever reason and her not trusting you from the get-go, not only that, you know, professionally you know what you're doing and that you're, you know, you're, you're there to help her and you have great advice and great ways to teach her, but I would hate for any mom or dad to ever feel like I didn't like their kid or that I thought their kid well, was a brat or, you know. Well, Laura, one of the things you've written about and talked about on DVDs and everything is the importance of kids really and it sounds so hokey but to you know really feel adored and loved and that's part of that you right. know terribly important social connection so um yeah i kind of feel like every parent deserves to see a therapist um really 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 enjoying and adoring their child you know i just kind of feel right. like that that needs to be part of the formula and, and it is it, because well if if it's not then you know, we need to find a new line of work because <laughs> because exactly a lot of therapists really, mm-hmm. if you film them, they don't look like they like kids very much. No, they don't look like they enjoy what they do very much, and that's mm-hmm. really sad. And you know, occasionally I'll have the opportunity to really see another therapist do that. You know, if I'm in a daycare and they're in a daycare, and I'm seeing what's happening. You know, if we're both working in the same area, and I see that, and I just I just they feel kind awful of look bored and detached. You know, they kind of look, yeah. Or mean. Yeah, or nasty. Yeah. Or mean. And I think, oh, no, you poor baby. Oh. You know, you're you're in daycare all day. Yeah. Oh, no. You know, and don't you really want your kids in daycare to feel like they have a highlight of the day and that you were, you know, I really. Well, that's just my daycare kids, you know. I mean, I want, when well, I get to a house, and sure. normally that is how it goes. I mean, thankfully I haven't had one of sure. those. Clingers who wouldn't get off his mommy's lap for for quite some time. I mean, when my kids see me, they are like, "Woohoo, Kate!" You know, yeah, here's a, yeah. And they run. I, I love it when they run friend. to the spot we usually sit. You know, they go right over there and they're yeah. ready. And normally that is how kids respond because if it really is that much exactly. fun for them, of course they want to do it. Even if you're putting some exactly. pressure on them and, and have expectations, and they, you know, I don't know. I, I've the worst. I think the Probably the worst thing I've heard about therapists over the years is that she just acts like she doesn't like her job. You know, I've heard that about no. individuals, and yeah. I always think, oh, that means that she also acts like she doesn't like your kid, doesn't it? You know, I mean, I don't See, say that's that. that's what that's... I always think moms want to mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. They, and that's what they mean. That's yeah. what they mean, and I think mm-hmm. that is horrible. Yeah. And if I don't do anything else initially with the family, I want them to feel like I enjoy my time at their home. I want everybody to feel like they are my favorite family mm-hmm. and that I adore their child and that I am giving them the best, whatever that happens to be at that particular date and time, they are getting the best of me that they can absolutely get. Mm-hmm. And so I hate it when I hear that that's um, not happening. And that's not to say that we're all on 100% of the time every minute of the day, I'm, you know, I, who am I kidding? I know everybody has a bad day. But, but you know what, Laura, you know, we all know that. Yeah, how many times have we said, I don't know if I can do it, you know, by 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. It's Thursday and we're exhausted. But we yeah. also know that if you go in there and you are excited and you are animated and you are loving and you are totally focused on that kid, you get it back tenfold from the kid. 
And so it's very infectious. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what I would like to be able to say. Absolutely. Folks is, don't you know how much more fun it is, how much more productive it is if you do that? Right. Even if, in fact, you're kind of faking it for the first five minutes. And and sometimes I have okay. to. I mean, I just have to <laughs> fake it, you know. <laughs> I'm not Absolutely. really necessarily but don't we all? It. Go ahead. Yeah, but we all have to do that. You all have to rise to the occasion for your family. You know, when we don't always feel like that with our own kids sometimes, but you do. How many times do you go to social things that you really don't want to be there, but you're nice anyway? <laughs> you know, it's just part of being a grown-up. Yeah. And so I certainly hate that when I hear it, um, that that's happening with the family, and unfortunately we do hear those stories. So hopefully if... Um, professionals are listening and they happen to happen to be you know <laughs> do that self-analysis to think oh my goodness she might kind of be talking about me here let me listen up i might need this advice your kids aren't uh, really, standing at the window and jumping up and down when you get there then you need to what do you say laura ratchet up. it up a little bit <laughs> Ratchet it up. Yeah, and, you know, this is what I was going to tell you. I have developed an online friendship with a speech pathologist in California who found the website early on. So we've been friends now, you know, online for a couple of years, and I'm her Facebook friend, not just on Teach Me a Shock, but on our, you know, personal pages now. And she wrote last week, and, you know, she works in California, same, you know, early intervention speech pathologist, and she said her favorite sound of the day is when she's about to, when she knocks on a door and she hears happy laughter and little feet running across the floor to the door to answer the door. And I thought, oh, she's so good. She's a good therapist. (laughs) To hear that, and that does, I love to see little faces pressed against the glass door, the window, and that big grin, like, she's here, she's here. (laughs) And so, again, that. That is an important part of therapy. It's an important part of helping kids establish that connection with somebody else because if they want to be with you, then they want to learn from you. If they're running from you and crying, and if you have that happen a lot, it's not just a once in a blue moon freaky kind of thing, then you know you probably need to revisit that. So, but chances are, um, well. Anyway, never mind. I'm not even going to say that. You know what I was going to say, but never mind. <laughs> Maybe not. Well, let me say. They're probably not listening to the show anyway, so there you go. <laughs> Pro- I'm guessing not. To- yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could uh, target gonna, some folks and I'm send it to myself them. in trouble. <laughs> no, Let's say this far. If somebody's listening. That. I know. If somebody's listening and they'd like to call in, we love callers. Our number is one seven one eight seven six six four three three two. If you're a mom, you're a therapist, you're anybody who's interested in our topic, we'd love to hear from you. So give us a call. And you know, let me tell you this. Uh two people told me Friday that they listened to the show, that they've listened uh, a long time. And then I got an email, I guess Wednesday or Thursday midweek, uh, from a therapist who's just been listening, she said, for a couple of months. And she has downloaded all the shows on her iPod, and she listens between, and we've had therapists tell us this before, they listen to our shows between their, you know, while they're driving to their next uh, appointment. And so my point about that is, 
I think we might have some live listeners, but the majority of our listeners, especially those who are therapists, listen when they're driving, when they're working out, which is always hysterical to me because I think, well, you wouldn't yeah, really that you. Do, do another rep. <laughs> Do one for me. Neither one of us are big exercisers, so yeah, that's kind of foreign to me anyway, although at various times in my life I have been a lot better than I have been lately. But, um, you know, lots of our listeners listen, or even moms, you know, they'll listen at another time. And so um, to those moms and therapists, we so appreciate that, and that's so flattering that we're part of your routine. You know, I had somebody tell me that, and... um, when I did that first conference in Fishers right outside of Indianapolis, you know, it's so weird to see you because every time that I listen, hear your voice and listen to your voice, I'm always, you know, on the treadmill or, you know, doing the next rep with the machine at the gym. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's hysterical to think about it in that kind of context. So she thought it was funny to kind of be sitting in the room listening. But we so appreciate um, our listeners there. So in that case, those people aren't going to call right now is what I was trying to say. And I don't even know why that was important for me to say other than bringing up an opportunity to thank the people who have listened to us through 100 shows now. Um, and it's so, again, so uh, flattering that we would have people that would listen uh, week after week after week and month after month. So thank you very much uh, for doing that. But if someone is listening live, we would love for you you to call in. We always love live callers. All right, let's move on to the next question. Are we going to do the one with the toys? Because I can do it. Yeah, let's do the one with the toys. And we have talked about this several times, but I swear every conference when I start talking about toys and the whole toys really matter and toys are our office supplies and the activities that we pick for children really matter. You can't just take activities that were designed for older preschoolers or, you know, heaven forbid, school-age children and water them down and expect them to work with toddlers. You know, I always talk about that. And then I always say that even though lots of state programs discourage you from taking toys and visits, that I'm still going to take my toys and visits because I believe that I have to have the right tools to do my job, and I would never expect to go in a doctor's office and him just say, golly, I wish I had a blood pressure cuff, or I'm you know, the dentist, and oh my goodness, I wish I had a tool to work on your teeth. You expect professionals to be prepared and ready, and as early interventionists, we use toys. Those are our office supplies. And so I think I can make a good case to anyone, any program director, any person on of, you know, whatever level, blah, 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 of why I need my things when I'm going into a visit. But this is always what comes up. There's always a therapist who raises her hand and says, but I don't like taking toys in homes where they're lower income and where they don't have lots of toys and I feel badly about that if the kids get to play with something really fun and then I take it away Um, and I just say to that well I don't feel badly about that because I think one of the big things that we do is educate parents about what's developmentally appropriate for children to play with and so we can show them toys and things. And and when we do that, we need to be saying, and these are the toys that you have that are similar that you can use for this kind of activity. 
Um, these are the things that I would do with these toys that you have. You know, and I always stress to parents, it's not the toy that makes the activity really cool. It's the adult who plays with the child and makes it interactive and makes it fun and teaches language, whether you're working on receptive language with comprehension or expressive language with talking. You, know, you always emphasize that. But I feel like I have to have my thing so that I am prepared and I bring my A game into a family's home. If I am sitting there looking for something to do and scrambling, I don't feel like I've given that family my best. And so that's why I think we can always make an argument to be prepared. You know, and I say this in conferences a lot, I think sometimes it's a little lazy when a therapist doesn't go the effort of picking out toys that are developmentally appropriate for where that particular kid is. And so I think I could always make a good argument, and I'm consistent about that, whether I'm talking to therapists in the conferences or mothers or service coordinators who might see me with my big bag of toys. And, you know, a few years ago a service coordinator told me that at a home. She was kind of chastising me, and I just went toe-to-toe -to -toe with her and gave her all the reasons why I still think this is appropriate, you know, and after she left, the mom was like, yeah, that was good, that was good what you told her, because the mom believed it, too, mm -hmm. and it is, it does make kids want to play with you, and it's novel, and the most thing is it's organized. I'm not looking for, right. you know, out of a nine-piece puzzle. I have all nine pieces. You know, if I have a racetrack, Absolutely. With cars, I have cars that actually fit on the racetrack, <laughs> and so I think it's just a part of. Yeah, how novel is that? So I think it's just part of being prepared. And again, I know a lot of therapists philosophically have a difference, and okay, you know, we can have different opinions, but I still feel like that that's how um, I justify it. With I need to be prepared, and I need to educate families, and the best way to do that is to show them what would be developmentally appropriate um, for a kid, you know, their child. And my point that I made, too, with the person that asked that on Friday, sometimes those very same people that she might be talking about, their lower-income families, a lot of those families, you know, you're sitting right by the big-screen TV. <laughs> they got a lot of stuff. They might drive a newer car than me, you know. Mm -hmm. It's just where they put their priorities with their money, and that's okay, too. I'm certainly not going to openly question the choices that they make, but I think lots and lots of therapists kind of use that as an out with, well, I'm just not going to take anything. I'm going to use whatever they have. And so if they don't have anything, oh, well, that's really their fault when that's worse to me than, I mean, that's about, the, I think, the worst that you could do is just to kind of shrug it off and say, oh, well, if they don't have enough, they just don't have enough. Forget it. Right. And, well, and, Laura, one thing that um, is really absolutely necessary um, for for your particular approach to therapy, and I would contend for any effective approach to therapy with a young child is they have to want to be with you, they have to want to play with you, and it only uh, makes sense that if you take something in, and you know, you joked or uh, asked funny questions at the conference the other day, how many of you can't get in your car because it's full of toys. How many of you have a garage that's over? How many of you have a storage unit? Uh, uh, needless to yeah. say, I had to say, me, me, and me on all of them because I am compulsive yeah. about our me toys. Too. But one of the things that you that is so important is that we kind of have some control over what 
um, not only that it be organized, but that we really have possession of them, of the toys initially, and we want them to want them badly enough to communicate with us, whether that be with signs or words or gestures or eye contact, whatever, you know, depending on the, the level of, of the functioning of the child, we want them to want um, to be with us and to have what we have, which is great toys. And if we don't, even if we go to a house where they have tons of wonderful toys, and even if they happen to be organized, which of course sometimes they are, it's the child's toy and it's sitting right there and they have access to it. And if they're right. not they're not encouraged to communicate with us, um, you know, and when you, we once we know the child and we're talking to the parent about what they can do, we're going to say you need to keep these things separate. You need to have possession of these things. We don't want to use the toys that your child uses all day every day because they are not enticing to him anymore, which how many parents have, you know, realized that. Their kid can't live without something. They get it. They love it initially. Eh, not so cool after a short while. And so, you know, right. that's part of the formula. And so, you know, for us to say, oh, well, just kind of use and And, yeah, for some kids who are already very social, who are already have – nice, strong play skills for all, you know, that might work, but I would still contend the novelty of taking things in and, right. and to arbitrarily say, well, because they don't have anything or they have very little, you know, if they're underprivileged and they don't have much, oh, that's somehow cruel. I haven't, I mean, I, my kids who are underprivileged love therapy every bit as much, and I can't say that as I leave they're any more or less um upset you know it's not like right you know they may not want me to leave but it's not because i'm taking my toys it's because oh no you know she's leaving and i don't get to play with her anymore so you know i, right. I haven't they seen, enjoy the experience yeah right i haven't seen in the and that happens that in any different yeah i was gonna say that happens in homes where it looks like toys are us exploded absolutely it's that you've yeah, that you've had, um, you know, that they have every choice. And for some kids, we have to, uh, like my little friend that I show in the conference, he had so many toys and was such a sensory seeker and so many things that we had to really isolate him and kind of change his environment so that we were doing closet therapy because he was, you know, attention all over the place with let me play with this, no, let me play with that, let me play with that, you know, moving on so quickly and you talked about a second ago, too, that, you know, we might get a kid like that at the end of a hall or, you know, really kind of researchers' environment. But in that case, you really have to be able to control access to the toys. Otherwise, you, the kid has uh, such fleeting attention that you can't stay focused on one thing. So it, it uh, across the board, really applies to most children that the novelty and, again, um, having to work to request the next piece of the toy to play, you know, that's what really sets up the situation so that they are a little more inclined and, you know, or forced, quote, unquote, in the most pleasant, playful way to want to play with you and to keep working on that, whatever that skill is that you're targeting. So I, I just... You know, on the times when I don't take toys, like say, you know, there's a monsoon and I think I can't get me and the toy bag in the house without really being, you know, I still want to be presentable when the parents open the door and I don't want to be completely drenched or, you know, there have been a time or uh, two that I've gone to work, say that I've cleaned out the car and I've forgotten to put the toys back in (laughs) 
or you've gone to a daycare where you think, okay, I'm going to be the star attraction for these 12, 18-month-olds, so I'm not going to have my bag where they're just going to pull the whole thing out. I might just take one thing in or, or know what I'm going to do. You still have to have a game plan. Even if you don't, even if you're not taking your toys in, you know, you still have to have things ready that you're going to do. Because to just kind of think, well, whatever happens, happens for that hour. Again, I think it's it's pretty lazy, and I just uh, don't want to be that kind of therapist. And I don't want to sit and be uncomfortable where I'm trying to think, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? I'm thinking that anyway about you know what strategies you were using and stuff. I don't I don't need it to be about the materials too. I want to have that and be ready and be prepared and plan and and know going in what we're targeting that day rather than sitting there and just letting 20 minutes go by while I try to look for something to play with or follow him around around as he's wandering around looking at stuff he has access to. I I just can't imagine that sessions like that could be nearly as productive because I want want him wanting what I have and wanting to stay right with me. (laughs) Yeah. Not that I force them to, but I want them to be that right. So part of that is... But when you start off yeah, when you start off therapy on the right foot and you're fun and you have cool things to do and, again, you're prepared and you have enough to do. You don't just bring in one book and one puzzle and think that a two-year-old, okay, for 30 minutes we're going to do the puzzle and for the rest of the 30 minutes we're going to read one book. I mean, that's crazy, too. And people do that. A lot. Uh, not a lot, but it's not uncommon. They take one or two toys and they're going to play with kids who can't play with the best toy in the world for 30 minutes. So, you know, yeah. I mean, it would be easy. It would be very easy to have a little satchel that you just carried in, and it was, you know, a couple little things. I look like I, I get lots of funny comments because I'm the opposite extreme of lugging in to way too much. Frequently I don't use all of what I, that I take in, but I want to know that that child is going to want to be right there with me for that hour. And if that means I carry in an extra heavy bag, I do. You know, it's, Me too. It's well and, I, and when you set it up, yeah, and if you set it up right from the beginning and the kid knows by that third or fourth session, oh, my goodness, this is going to be fun, then you don't have problems with chasing him around. No. You don't have problems with him being bored. Right. And, you know, you don't have problems with him pitching up fit the whole time and wanting you to leave because it's fun. He wants to do it. More often than not, they're sad when it's when it's over. When it's time to go, and so I just think so many things that people battle with behavior can be fixed just with being prepared enough and being fun enough. And back to our original point, I really liking and act. Well, even if you're faking it, acting like you enjoy your job and you you're building a relationship with that child and his parents, um, I think it I think it goes farther. And and a lot of times, you know. With um, and I'm sure you've had this happen a lot, Kate, where other therapists report behavior problems with a kid who sits totally fixated on you and what you're doing the whole time. Mm-hmm. And you think, behavior problems? <sighs> what are you talking about? This is a kid who's with me and, mm-hmm. and is engaged totally in therapy, and I don't have all that other stuff mm-hmm. because I took in, you know, I, I took the time to really plan therapy. And by plan therapy, I mean, Thinking about him while you're driving over there and standing at the trunk of your car or the back of your SUV or whatever, thinking, what did he like before? What did he not like before? What am I working on with him today? What toys would lend themselves to target that goal the very best way that I can? 
and just kind of standing there and doing that whole little thought process, which I just, it's, it's so instinctive. You know, I can't imagine that anybody that did this job wouldn't have that as part of their normal process and planning. After a while, it does kind of get to be second nature. Um, and I don't have the same bag of toys all day long for, you know, all five or six kids that I would see either because kids are interested in different things and um, are working on different things. There are some kids that may be way, you know, lower functioning and need lots more cause and effect toys and simple toys, still fun, still novel, than, say, you know, a kid who's about to be three that I've seen for a year whose play skills are great, who's just a practic and, you know, we're working on getting all the right sounds in the right places because language is moving along. And, again, cognitively, they're way ahead of maybe the kid that I saw before. You can't take the same toys in. You've oh, got to have some not. variety there. Yeah, and you've got to plan that and kind of know developmentally what you're targeting and what would be best for that kind of kid so that he's not bored. You know, you can't even have the same toy bag all day. I, I'm just surprised uh, when therapists talk about that too and some people I guess say that they're creative enough to make that happen and they can use it and you know to that I would just kind of go hmm um, <laughs> because <laughs> I'd have to see like it to believe it I'm, how about that yeah I'm, I'm pretty creative and I think I'm you know can think on my feet with the best of them mm-hmm. but I don't think that that would be developmentally appropriate so um, I just think we have to put effort into what we do and um, well, and as you said, the Laura, occasion and give a sorry. Go ahead. When I when no, I you do hear not. I interrupt you constantly. Okay. <laughs> when I hear those stories, our listeners know. Yeah. From parents who say, um, "Well, he doesn't really play with her that much. He wanders a lot, or she wanders a lot, or she." you know, kind of goes off and does her own thing, and they're telling, you know, this is in describing how this child that I also see does with another therapist. Pretty much invariably, there are people who don't take toys. Or if they take toys, they take two toys, and it's the same two toys every week or the one toy every week. And I think, well, of course not. I mean, you know, that's just, I mean, it's, and I, I just can't imagine how the lack of fulfillment that um, those therapists you would think should feel because they're really not getting much from the kid and it's not a terribly productive hour. And I, I don't know. I just, it's uh baffles me that they haven't figured that out. But sometimes it, I guess, you know, they see it differently. I just, you know think, well, it's not that hard to get some better toys and take in a little more and, you know, switch it up and kind of keep that, as you said, that's part of a big part of what we do in working with young kids is dealing with toys and to not have an arsenal of good ones and use them to the child's benefit seems, um, what would be the word? (laughs) Lazy. (laughs) Lazy. Lazy. That is the word you use. Even in real life, I've heard you say it a couple of times. Yep. Um, yeah, it is kind of. It's just. It's just self-defeating. You know. It's just. Wake up. Get on it. Yeah. It's part of what we do. And then, I know. You know. 
Well, and you don't have to spend a ton of money to do that because you can no. go to Goodwill. You are queen of the bargain shoppers, Kate. You know every thrift store in Louisville mm-hmm. uh, and can do that. And we are constantly talking about toys that work. You know, this is my great new toy. And, again, these aren't all 40 and $50 toys. These might be something you've got, you know, for $5 or, right. you know, big lots for $10 or whatever. It doesn't take lots and lots of money to um, do that as a therapist to kind of stop, restock your bag. And that's the thing I want to say to, you know, therapists who say that about parents, too, is, you know, the parents aren't going to have the resources to go out and buy that. And I think, well, you know, maybe not to go, you know, lay down $300 at Toys R Us in a single visit, but I don't do that either. It's just stuff you buy over time, and it's, you know, 10 bucks here, 15 bucks here. And, it's, you know, truth be told, Lots and lots of families can do that and already do that. And so mm-hmm. just being able to steer them in the right direction and say, hey, listen, don't buy that bells and whistle toy that's going to cost you $50 and, you know, look like a mini laptop. How about you buy this instead and this is how you can use that. And especially when birthdays and holidays are coming up, I have tons of families. And even sometimes my families that aren't as wealthy as other families are still buying you know, tons of crap their kids aren't going to play with that aren't right. fun, you know, or that they're either higher than they are developmentally or lower. And so I just think it works so much better when you can say, these are the kinds of things that would be helpful for us, and these are the toys that, you know, he likes or she likes. These are the things that you already have that can be used for that. But if birthday's coming up or Christmas or whatever or grandma's asking you, this might be a good thing for her to get and this is where you can find it and blah, 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 blah. And so I think that that's a big part of of what we do is helping parents know how to use the things they already have plus know what else to get because usually they're going to spend money. Right. (laughs) They're going to buy You know, Laura, I serve lots of low-income families and as you say, Christmas and birthdays and sometimes just a trip to Walmart those kids get toys too. They do, you know. Even in the the poorest of situations, at least in this area of the country, they do get things. It's not that they don't have toys. So sometimes it is a case of the toys being neglected once they get to the home, and then they're not taken care of. And so even if they had them, maybe six months later, it's either been junked or it's in a big box with other stuff, and it's you know kind of useless. But they do get them. So. Right. I can't say that I've ever had a child that didn't have some toys. I mean, so that's good. That would be hard, but they have some. So anyway, at the end of the day, you and I are going to take our toys till we don't do this job anymore. And (laughs) for for those who don't, I would say try it. You'll be amazed at how much um, more responsive kids are and how much more fulfilled you'll feel at the end of the day. So. Right. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. All right, I think we're um, at the end of our hour, at the end of our 100th show. And you know what? I did have a letter that I wanted to read, and I completely forgot that and did not read that. So maybe that's what we'll start the show with next time. It's an update from Annette. It was a regular listener, especially early on. because I remember she was one of our was, first callers. She has tons of personalities. She's cute. And her update was... Yes, darling. And Jake is doing great. He's five. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always kind of think of kids that's staying, too. Mm -hmm. We always think about kids 
as three because, you know, the last time I see them is right on their birthday usually. It's really um, kind of weird when you see them when they're up. six or seven or eight. <laughs> like, wow, you grew up. Well, it's my favorite. And my favorite thing is to get um, – to get Christmas cards every year, and I see him grow up, you know, every year, and I'll think, oh, how big is he? Oh, my goodness, he's in third grade. Oh, my gosh, he's 10, you know, and it's so funny to get that. I love that year after year to um, get that from lots of families that I still kind of keep in touch with but because we do kind of think about them always as babies. But she's got some good things to say about Jake. It's really nice things to say about the podcast and the DVDs as well. So we will start with that next time. And then uh, as we were doing the show today, I've gotten a couple of emails from therapists who attended the conference on Friday. I don't know if they're listening and had some things to say about that or if they just um, happened to send those in at this moment. And so we'll take those kind of clarification questions um, next week, too. So that'll be fun as well. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks, Laura. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye.